Welcome back to the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on today's episode, we will be catching up with Euroconsult to discuss some of the details of a recent report that they published on prospects for growth within the global in-flight connectivity market. But first, I want to just let our listeners know that our most recent Connected Aviation Intelligence webcast is available on demand. We have two sessions featuring Valor Consultancy's Craig Foster and the other, a virtual panel discussion that I moderated featuring Iridium, Satcom Direct, and Smart Sky Networks. There's a link to the on-demand webcast sessions in our podcast notes. You can also register for free to watch the on-demand sessions at gcasummit.com aviation intelligence. I recently had the chance to catch up with Xavier Lancel, who is a senior consultant with Euroconsult based in Paris, France. He's a part of Euroconsult's consultant team in satellite communications markets. Some of you may be familiar with Euroconsult's annual in-flight connectivity report that attempts to summarize how many total aircraft in the world currently feature connectivity and where there are growth opportunities for in-flight connectivity deployment globally on both commercial and business aircraft. We also get into a number of different topics with Xavier, including his thoughts about new entrants into the in-flight connectivity space, 5G, LEO satellites, opportunities for connectivity on regional aircraft, and more. So let's get into our interview with Xavier Lancel, Senior Consultant at Euroconsult. So Xavier, first, for those in our audience who may be unaware of who Euroconsult is. Can you give us an introduction to your current role with Euroconsult and some of the background on your experience in aviation and covering in-flight connectivity? Sure. So, um, so yes, I'm Xavier Lancel, uh, senior consultant at, uh, at Euroconsult. Uh, so I've been working in Euroconsult since uh, the past uh, three, three years now. Um, so I'm mainly working on the um, SATCOM, uh, SATCOM topics within Euroconsult. Uh, and especially um, dedicated on the mobility market, so namely maritime and um, aero, so in-flight connectivity. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's something that I do for the well since I've, I've been in Euroconsult and uh, especially issuing the the every year some market intelligence report, uh, so one dedicated on in-flight connectivity, and that's uh, that's the purpose of today's today's discussion, I guess. Um, and uh, well, on my background, uh, well, so I originally have, a, I've, um, have a, a, I have a master's degree in uh, aerospace engineering, and uh, then I've been working uh, in uh, Airbus in the Airbus Group, so in the Airbus Defense and Space um, uh, division of the Airbus Group on the um, uh, GovSatcom mainly um, topics, and then I joined the French Aerospace uh, Center. Where I worked on the uh, aeronautics department, and uh, so mainly focused on aviation. Uh, so that's why um, today at Euroconsult I kind of mix my both past experience, one in the SATCOM and the other in the aviation. Right. And and where in Europe are you based out of? So we are based in uh, Paris. Uh, so I'm personally based in Paris, uh, but Euroconsult has also offices in uh, in Montreal and some representative. 
uh, here and there throughout the world, in, especially in Japan and uh, in Malaysia, for example. Oh, interesting. One of my favorite cities. Um, so as it stands of right now, um, you know, and you know, Euroconsult is really well known, especially for uh, within the aviation industry, what you all cover as far as tracking in-flight connectivity investment and uh, some of the trends in the industry. Um, you know, obviously right now, September, um, still, you know, we're still kind of in this uh, weird transition period with, with the pandemic and air travel, although, of course, some of the policies and regulations are starting to change. But from your perspective, you know, as it stands right now in September, um, what would you say just what was the deepest impact that the pandemic had on in-flight connectivity service revenues? Um, you know, is that period over? And, you know, have we returned to some type of normal status as, as far as just, you know, in-flight connectivity activity on a per month basis? Yeah, sure. So, well, maybe the first thing to say is that um, the, the in-flight connectivity market is, of course, uh, very dependent uh, on the general aviation market in its own, and, uh, and especially the air traffic levels. So um, definitely um, last year was, uh, well, uh, it, as the COVID-19 pandemic had a, a very, very strong impact on the air traffic levels and the um, in-flight connectivity uh, market have reflected this uh, big drop in, in, in air traffic. But at Euroconsult, we are uh, space-related uh, activities experts and not really aviation experts. So um, we rely mainly on uh, various reports from uh, international aviation organizations, such as uh, the, the ICAO or the IETA, for example, uh, in order to understand uh, the air traffic uh, level and trends uh, in the first place. So, um, well, to, to, to give you an answer on, on where we stand uh, now as of September uh, 2021, uh, I would mainly uh, base my uh, opinion and analysis on, first of all, on the current uh, air traffic levels as, uh, as it was published by the IATA and uh, where uh, especially, well, actually it was uh, end of, as of end of July 2021, uh, that's the latest report from the IATA. Um, and several com comments can be made so far. First of all, um, the, the, the rebound in the global air travel uh, as well, let's say, um, has been yeah, since the early uh, 2021 or end of 2020 uh, uh, last year, uh, but it has continued in July. So that's very good. And that's mainly supported by the willingness to travel during the Northern Hemisphere summer, for example. Um, and uh, that is reflected by an industry-wide RPK uh, that has picked up uh, by a robust 8% in July compared to, to the previous months of June. So, um, but well, anyway, the, the difference in activity levels uh, between domestic and international travels remains very strong and um, the international travels remain remaining at a, a level that is well below pre-COVID levels. So um, that's something that is purely uh, reflected on the uh, in-flight connectivity uh, status and, uh, uh, and revenues in its whole. So, um, so, so yeah, that's, that's the main issue, I would say, the difference between domestic and international travel. Uh, if, you, if we look at forecast maybe now, just, ju just for, for, for a minute. Um, so again, uh, based on the IATA air travel forecast, uh, it can be noted that the risks uh, of, of um, another 
small period of stagnation maybe are rising uh, since since the month of August and especially we see some some weakness in um, uh, with with some for example the Chinese domestic market which uh, was very had a very good uh, recovery since um, well uh, all, all through 2021 so far but uh, has been um, has shown some some yeah some signals of uh, of weakness in the past in the past months following uh, um, let's say another wave of uh, of covid uh, covid outbreak so um, yeah that's that's we need to be very careful on on the future uh, in that re, in that aspect and that's why the ayata is not um, let's say um, confirming uh, let's say uh, reaching back pre-covid levels uh, be not before end of 2023 to 2024. So in that respect, uh, we should see in-flight connectivity revenues uh, following the same trend and potentially, uh, let's say in average, uh, reaching back those levels, uh, so yeah, 2019 levels by, let's say, in the course of 2023 uh, to early 2024. And just to sort of, uh, you know, drive that point home for the audience. So when you do say in-flight connectivity service revenues, you're talking from the service provider, uh, you know, maybe the satellite network sure. provider's perspective? Sure, exactly. Yeah, we are talking about service provider's perspective. Okay. And, you know, a good transition to my next question. Um, Euroconsult does publish an annual report, as, as you mentioned, on the uh, IFC service revenues. Um, and I wanted to really, you know, first start off, if, if you could give our audience an understanding of how you compile that IFC service revenue data, um, you know, how do you actually come up with some of those numbers? Uh, and especially, you know, throughout the, the pandemic, I was just, you know, a little bit tougher to do, but how do you come up with kind of the analysis that you put into that report? Yeah, sure. Yeah, a, a bit of, of methodology here. So no, no problem. So our methodology is, is really to rely on, on various sources and, and to cross-check really the, the data to be, to, be, to be sure and confident with it. Um, so our, our main uh, information sources really are from, um, first of all, from, from public information uh, that can be found through uh, annual reports, for example, press releases and uh, news articles as well. Uh, but also we, um, to have a, a deeper understanding uh, and pre more precise understanding of the market of the situation, we are um, every year conducting a round of interviews with, uh, with executive from the main, uh, main stakeholders of the market. And that's really for us uh, a key, uh, key element uh, to, to, to cross-check the different, uh, different data and to, uh, and to, to, to have really uh, strong, uh, to be very confident basically in, in the data that we publish. So, um, well, and knowing that the service revenues are a key indicator on, on, on the market, uh, we are definitely uh, cross-checking the, the figures and the general consistency of the model uh, against, well, the public information that is given directly by the market player. So that's, that, that's the first thing. And um, maybe one note on the, on the, on the service revenues that, uh, that we have published um, as of 20, end of year 2020 in, in, our, uh, in our latest edition of the report. So definitely, there has been a, a huge drop by by almost uh, thirty percent. Uh, 
Um, but uh, as I mentioned, it's it's coherent uh, with what, well, first of all, with uh, the air traffic levels that uh, we have just discussed previously, but also with the different uh, feedback that we had from the from the different stakeholders on the market regarding IFC. Um, and uh, well, of course, main explanation for that is uh, the travel all the travel res restrictions that has uh, been uh, following the, the COVID-19 outbreak in 2020. And you know another interesting point that that uh, I found in the 2021 edition, the you, you published a press release announcing that last month was that you found that 9,000 aircraft across 115 airlines are equipped with IFC terminals currently. And um, can you give some perspective, maybe how many unconnected aircraft does that leave in terms of uh, the number of airlines that, that have potential aircraft with connectivity upgrades out there? Sure, so we, we estimate uh, the current addressable market being at around 26, uh, 26,500 aircraft worldwide. So by addressable market, uh, we have to understand that it's all the, 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 the aircraft, the airplanes that are uh, able to fly registered and, uh, and, and listed to, uh, to flights uh, throughout the world. So, um, and by the way, this number of 26,500, is already a decrease of 5% compared to 2020, uh, in the course of 2020, sorry. Uh, but, and that's due mainly to the scraping and the decommissioning of, of aircraft, uh, and as well, a very low level of aircraft delivery due to the pandemic. Um, so with the 9,000 connected aircraft that you mentioned, uh, that leaves around 17,500 unconnected ones, and that represents a penetration rate of IAC uh, equipment uh, of 34% in, in total. However, what's interesting is really to look uh, a bit in detail at those numbers by splitting them by type of aircraft. So twin aisle, single aisle, and regional aircraft. And there we see that the ISC penetration rate is peaking at above 65% for twin aisle, while it is stagnating at less than 20% for regional aircraft. So the single aisle category uh, well, lies a bit in between uh, of the twin aisle and regional at around 30% of IFC penetration as of end of year 2020. Looking now, because that's, that's percentages, but looking at the absolute number of unconnected aircraft, the main reservoir lies really in the single aisle aircraft category where approximately 11,500 aircraft remain unconnected uh, throughout the world. So these levels of penetration for in-flight connectivity are again really coherent with the, the onboard usage trends uh, of the different lengths of flight. For example, long flights, uh, so usually twin aisle, twin aisle flights, um, are uh, usually more convenient to spend uh, time uh, connected on a mix of application. You can mix between streaming, messaging, playing, browsing, etc. Um, and that's why we expect that IFC terminals would continue to be installed on twin aisle aircraft in the, in the near, uh, near term. And uh, for single aisle aircraft, the number of aircrafts that are expected to be equipped in the next year is more important because again of the larger base of the 11,500 aircraft that I mentioned. 
but also the penetration rate should not reach uh, uh, 50% uh, before the end of the decade. Yeah, it's really at the end of the decade, yeah, around 2030, that uh, 50% uh, penetration rate would be would be achieved in single ale, whereas for for for, uh, for twin ales it would be around 80%. Um, 80 to 85%. And maybe now um, something about the regional uh, repartition as well, because uh, that's also very, uh, very interesting to, to see this, uh, this, this, this distinction with the North American market being by far the most mature market with 65% uh, of IFC penetration rate. And that means that the gross potential remains more limited uh, there than the other regions. For example, the Asia-Pacific region is expected to see a growing adoption of IFC in the near 10 years, and especially on the Segalail segment where only less than 10% of aircraft are currently connected. Interesting. And, you know, so you did go through some of the regional um, perspectives there. And another interesting statistic that, that is mentioned in your report is that uh, of those 9,000 connected aircraft, 80% of those are connected via satellite uh, with the remainder in air to ground. Um, you know, let's talk about who are some of the biggest satellite players right now in terms of providing IFC service to airlines. Uh, and do you think the introduction of 5G can kind of shift that uh, balance between satellite and air to ground? Sure, sure. Well, before talking about 5G uh, and your first question about uh, main satellite players, what's uh, really, really important to, to note is that in 20, uh, 2020 uh, and first half of 2021, there has been a huge, uh, I would say, shuffle in the market, in the ecosystem, uh, with uh, several uh, uh, companies uh, uh, running through Chapter 11 procedures um, and uh, some, some acquisition uh, of uh, uh, of, of of companies, so yeah, a huge huge shuffle have been uh, uh, have been uh, noted in, in in the past twelve months, and so regarding the current status, um, so in terms of uh, number of aircraft uh, equipped, uh, I would say that Intelsat, uh, following especially its acquisition of of the GoGo's commercial aviation division. Um, as well as Panasonic, Viasat, and A New View, which is a new name of Global Eagle, are really the top four um, top four uh, market players when we talk uh, when we talk about IFC through satellite, uh, because those four players account for approximately eighty percent of the market. Again, in terms of number of of aircraft, and that's really interesting to see that two of them, uh, Viasat and Intelsat are also satellite operators uh, uh, initially. So um, that, that, that is really showing the trend that uh, we see uh, throughout the different mobility markets, uh, maritime market uh, as well, that um, those satellite operators are really trying to increasing um, their vertical integration to, to cover as well the service providers activity. And um, that's also reflecting the fact that IAC via satellite still has very strong advantages against the air to ground technology, uh, especially to address the majority of the market. Uh, indeed, so in-flight connectivity has specific constraints that let satellites keeping the lion's share of the market, definitely. Um, for example, currently only aircraft flying over the land 
or within, let's say, a few tens of kilometers from the shores, uh, can enjoy the benefit of air-to-ground connectivity. So um, that's that's significantly, uh, let's say, restrain the number of aircraft uh, one could potentially use this technology. So that's maybe one reason why GoGo, for example, has sold its commercialization business to uh, to Intelsat uh, uh, in the end of, of 2020. Now, talking about, about 5G um, and the, the upcoming 5G, uh, 5G technology, uh, well, um, first thing maybe to say that GoGo, uh, because it's a main player of, uh, on the ATG, uh, ATG market, uh, really wants to focus on the business jet market uh, because that's, that's what they kept uh, as, as a GoGo brand. Um, and they also uh, are currently developing uh, a 5G ATG network. But definitely they want to restrict, restrain that, let's say for the moment to the, to the business jet. But that's also very logical because, uh, and understandable I would say, because the small size and the lightweight of the necessary equipment uh, to, 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 have, uh, to enjoy ATG technology are a very good option to connect uh, these jets in general. So um, to conclude, I would say that, uh, yeah, 5G would be uh, really interesting uh, for, for, for the ATG uh, to, let's say, to boost the ATG uh, market, but it would be, especially in the first place, for the, for the biz jet mostly, and as well as uh, some regional aircraft, uh, especially in North America. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to observe how that decision-making process goes of, you know, adding satellite versus ATG based on where you fly, of course. I want to go back to a, a point you made earlier about regional aircraft. I, in the latest edition of the EuroConsult report on IFC, you did include turboprops and regional aircraft. Uh, I was just curious as to why you decided to add those segments, especially turboprops, to the you know aircraft that you track. Um, do you see some interesting opportunities for turboprops and, in, in, like you mentioned earlier, regional aircraft? Well, firstly, um, we, we decided to, to add the regional aircraft, regional and turboprop uh, aircraft uh, in our analysis uh, this year, really in order to have a, an extensive view of the IFC market and to be sure to, to monitor uh, the different trends, all the different trends on the market. So uh, now in terms of, of potential, uh, well, similarly to the, to, to, to the market uh, in its globality, I would say there are some regional differences. And as I mentioned for the ATG, uh, the North American market is being a more mature market uh, with already around 35% of the regional aircraft being connected through ATG uh, solution only because that's uh, so, so far there that there is the only, uh, only um, yeah, satellite, uh, satellite connectivity is not uh, really as for the point that I mentioned earlier, so the, the weight, the size of the equipment, satellite connectivity is not the preferred uh, technology for, for regional and turboprop aircraft. So um, definitely ATG there has a, has a strong advantage. Uh, and um, well, uh, as well for regional aircraft, another uh, element that I, that I didn't mention is that unlike the single aisle and of course the twin aisle aircraft, Usually, regional and turboprops are flying most of the time uh, above land. 
So the restriction or the limitation of um, being unable to connect uh, via air to ground because they are flying over sea is, is not, a, not, not, not completely applicable to, to, to regional and turbo crops. So that would and and enforce the type of application that uh, the passengers could enjoy uh, in, in, in the regional aircraft. Well, with the current uh, data rates that can be achieved uh, with, the, with the air to ground technology, uh, well, passenger would enjoy as well messaging, browsing, and maybe for streaming only short videos because you most of the time of the the time the length of the flight. And that is a good point and, and a good transition to my next question as well is that um, you know a lot of the modern um, in-flight applications that passengers want to use like streaming are still you know um, you know not not just widely available you know you wouldn't have that option probably on any airline aircraft that you step on uh, but i want to ask you about uh what do you think will ultimately be the impact of leo low earth orbit satellites such as what spacex wants to do with starlink um and there's a few others out there telesat and OneWeb. Um, do you think that'll be a disruptive new addition to the in-flight connectivity service market well, quite a lot to say to this uh, to this new uh, new generation of satellite, but I will I will try to to keep it short. Um, but well, first of all, let's say that over the past few years, uh, a wide number of of Leo uh, and Mio constellations, so low Earth orbit and middle Earth, middle Earth orbit constellation, have been announced, and um, with the latest announcement uh, coming really from from Amazon with their constellation, which is named Kuiper. Uh, but well, other projects are in development as well, uh, and not to include uh, the Chinese constellations that uh, that that are uh, currently in uh, in preparation. Um, but well, bringing back to the to the to to, to the well-known player and uh, and uh, let's say competitor in that in that in that field. Um, well, after any, having initially not expressed any interest for the IFC market, SpaceX. Uh, has recently clarified uh, its position by expressing some some interest in selling this market. So, however, not as a primary uh, target, I would say, uh, which would remain for for SpaceX uh, the consumer broadband segment and, and and not the mobility market. But still, it's it's part of their of their target. Another constellation uh, project, uh, which on the other side is openly targeting the aero market uh, as a key market, I would say, one of the of its key market. Is OneWeb, and uh, OneWeb. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, is one of the uh, the players that have been through a, a chaotic, let's say, I would say, uh, um, uh, year of 2020, because after successfully resuming uh, satellite launches in 2021, because that stopped for 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 all the 2020, uh, the year 2020, because uh, they were through a Chapter 11 procedure. Uh, so OneWeb now has over 350 uh, active satellites with a global coverage that is expected by the end of 2022. Um, and now also OneWeb has uh, successfully secured additional funding. Uh, so uh, especially yeah, in, the, in all, all across 2020, the first half of 2021, several new uh, new uh, investors came in, uh, and especially one, one a major one which is. Uh, uh, well, not major, but by, by its uh, the stake it has, it has taken, but uh, by uh, 
by let's say what it means for the strategy it's utelsat because it's a, it's a, it's a really a legacy historical uh, geo satellite operator that is uh, uh, putting some um, some some hope let's say uh, in the in the leo constellations so that's very interesting but bringing back to to ifc um well so those satcom constellations are really uh, anticipated to considerably impact the market by increasing the available capacity uh, while adding at the same time competitive pressure on prices uh, in an already oversupplied market and that's very interesting because well we'll see if that's not creating too much competition in a sense and uh, maybe uh, not all of the of the let's say uh, uh, players that are going to this endeavor uh, will not <laughs> go out in, uh, in in good shape, I would say. So we'll see because that will be a big challenge for them, a big, big challenge. Uh, the, the, the market is where really uh, uh, kind of overcrowded, especially with all the announcements that are coming up. But definitely for the, for the passengers, for the end users, that is a very good opportunity because they would bring a significant amount of, of capacity of bed, so to increase the bandwidth available for the end user um, and uh, also to increase the, their coverage uh, for example um, uh, the, the some constellation will be able to cover the, the poles and meaning that when uh, flying uh, really uh, from from well a typical flight from europe to to the us and that is uh, going a bit uh, a bit in the northern latitudes would really be uh, able to enjoy a better connectivity that it can uh, do right now. So that's really a, a good advantage. And um, as well, the, the latency, the latency, uh, which is uh, uh, a key aspect as well. So uh, for, for, the, for all those constellations would be in favor, especially for all the cloud applications that, uh, that, that uh, well, can be, uh, uh, used by by the passengers. So um, well, uh, just to to on a timeline uh, timeline note, I would say to to conclude, uh, according to the public announcement so far, uh, we can assume that the first significant commercial impact on the market of all those uh, non geostationary non um, orbit constellation would start in uh, let's say 2025 or so. Yeah, it certainly will be an interesting, um, you know, thing to to watch the introduction of the more of those satellites and see what the impact will be. Well, Xavier, I think it was a very interesting conversation. Um, anything that you're just focusing on with in-flight connectivity for the remainder of 2021 going into 2022 as, you know, Euroconsult, of course, prepares to um, compile its 2022 IFC report? Sure. Yeah, I mean, definitely, we are we are heavily uh, looking at the 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 as I was mentioning at the beginning at the uh, recovery uh, of the air travel uh, air traffic levels. Uh, that's because definitely that will be uh, key for the for the for the service providers to uh, to 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 maintain uh, let's say uh, a good level of, of revenues, and uh, of course of course uh, another big big. Uh, thing to look at is uh, the all the, um, uh, the, 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 so the satellite constellation uh, so well namely uh, SpaceX OneWeb that are currently continuing to, 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 to launch their, their, their satellites 
and also as well all the other ones that might not be at the moment completely fully funded and um, to, to, to see and to follow their, uh, their path through, through this uh, hard uh, funding uh, process would be something very, very interesting to, to see in the next few months. And uh, well, for sure, 2022, uh, I would say, is, uh, is full of surprise. <laughs> <laughs> well, Xavier Lanzov, Euroconsult, uh, any listeners in our audience, they just published their 2021 in-flight connectivity report. So I encourage you to check that out. A lot of good information there. And thanks, Xavier, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Woodrow. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. <laughs>